This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. I told Harmon, well, Harmon and I talked about this. I know some of you are preparing to send me an email today. You're already, you've already typed it out in your mind. I want you just to remember there's a reason that we played this game today. Partly because oftentimes when people think about the Bible, they think it's not relevant. And you all just proved that you don't know the difference between Lamentations and Taylor Swift lyrics. Um, and partly I'm giving a shout out to Jesse Uman who sent me this on uh, TikTok this week. And I duly said we will be doing that because today we are uh, looking at Lamentations chapter 2 which is perhaps the saddest chapter in the entire Bible. So today you're going to have the whole meal deal. You came and you laughed. Those are probably the last laughs you're going to, you're going to have today. So um, you're welcome. Lamentations chapter 2 is a difficult, is a difficult uh, chapter. Over the, the, starting last week, we started into this book of Lamentations. It's a small book in the middle of the Old Testament just consists of five chapters. And if you weren't here last week, let me just give you a little bit of an overview. The first, second, fourth, and fifth chapters of Lamentations are alphabetic acrostic poems. So that means they follow the Hebrew alphabet. And, and they, can I get a little less on my microphone? And uh, they follow the Hebrew alphabet, and they're 22 verses each um, from A to Z in the Hebrew alphabet. The third chapter is different, and next week you're going to find out why, but, um, and it's going to be a cheerful, a cheerful chapter, so be excited about that. Um, what's interesting is that historians believe that Lamentations, both biblical historians and other historians, believe that Lamentations was written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah is referred to in the Bible as the weeping prophet because he foretold of a time that Israel would go into captivity. It was the worst historical thing to happen to Israel. And Israel was captured, uh, Jerusalem was laid siege, people starved to death, thousands of people died in battle, and um, it was a terrible, terrible time in Israel's history. And this is when historians believe Jeremiah uh, penned the five poems in Lamentations. Um, Theologically, Lamentations is important because it reminds us that God is neither put off by our sorrow nor is he offended by it. Lamentations reminds us that the human experience means that there will be times when we lament. And this is important, particularly for Christians to remember. That to be human means that there are times that are going to be really terrible. Now this flies in the face of what evangelicalism has told people for a long time. (laughs) Give your heart to Jesus and everything will be perfect. And we all know that's not true, because we all have all had to live through many Mondays. But Lamentations actually underscores this. And this is why it's important for us to read it, to understand it, and to know it. So we're going to read our text for today. We're not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read Lamentations 2, 1 through 5, and then we're going to read Lamentations 17 through 20. I will tell you, I have, spo- I have spared you some of the more difficult verses but I'm going to encourage you to go home and read them this week, like mothers eating their children and things like that. Okay, 
Lamentations 2, 1 through 5. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. I hope you're feeling encouraged. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is ready. Like a foe, he has slain all who were pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. You, you walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Okay, so I think we can say with pretty much assurance, no, none of you have any one of these verses that we've just read as a fridge magnet. None of you has typed it out and put it on a cue card and said to yourself, I'm going to memorize this. But what we do know and what we do teach is that all of God's word is useful. Useful for our teaching, useful correction, useful for growing us in the things of God. And so it's not right for us to go, well, you know what, we'll just, we'll just try to put that one aside. We actually have to look at it. I think there are some things that we can observe from this text that are going to help us to be formed. Do you know, the only way you become fully formed as a person is if you have mountaintop experiences and valleys, and you learn how to follow the Lord in both of them. Um, when you meet somebody who is uh, older, and this, this can happen to us in our insulated culture, who has not been through anything hard, what you find is there's like... Um, a little bit of a shallowness. Now, that's not to say that you have to go out searching for hard things. None of us do. They come to us. And um, I want to make a few observations about this text, and then we're going to respond to the word of the Lord. Because God's word is never meant for us just to like uh, engage our brains, although I hope that we will engage our brains. It is meant to engage our brains, which then moves our hearts and then changes us. Okay, so here's the first observation we're going to make. God is the main subject of this poem. Uh, this is important in a main character kind of world. Uh, God is mentioned more than 20 times in this poem. And as humans, uh, we often make ourselves the main, story, the main character in our own play. And everybody else is an NPC. Is that, did I say that right? A non, no, no. What is it, what is it supposed to be? An NPC? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Like that's, a, that's a person who's like a sideline person. You are the only person in your musical. Uh, Lamentations 2, though, actually corrects our theology. Some of us have a theology like this. 
It's you and God and everybody, everybody else is sort of a... Lamentations corrects that theology right away. We are not the main players. We are not the main players in the story of God. God is. God himself is. The first 10 verses of the second lament continue to highlight God's direct role in his punishment of the people. He's covered with a cloud. He's cast down splendor. He's ignored, swallowed up, broke down, brought down, cut down, withdrew. He's burning people. He's bent his bow. He's killed. He's poured out fury. He's laid in ruins. If you haven't noticed, God is not sounding like he's in a great mood in Lamentations chapter 2. God is described as being angry six times in 10 verses. And the word used for anger here is the word, um, is, is used for, for the word knows in Hebrew. And actually the idiom that the Hebrew language uses to talk about anger is burning of the nose. It's how Hebrew people would say it. If I'm really angry at you, I'm burning at the nose at you. Which is why when you come to Lamentations chapter 2, there's all kinds of metaphors about burning things down. and uh, it, It's not literally talking about it. But it is the idea that God is precise. He is not out of control in his rage. There is precision to it. And this uh, juxtaposed against the idea that it's a, an acrostic alphabetic poem is really important to see. This is not just a God who got up on Monday morning and went, I'm angry. This is a God who is precise, who is not out of control, and yet who is not passive aggressive in his way of being either. God's anger is measured and precise. Verse 1 talks about people, talks about God forgetting his people. And this is not like forgetting them, like he has amnesia. This is more like the idiom we use in the English language, like forget you. We don't actually mean that we're forgetting somebody. We're trying to forget somebody. Um, And this is throughout the scripture. We see that God is portrayed this way. God is portrayed as an invading enemy soldier who draws his bow against his people destroys palaces and fortifications, all the things that humans put their trust in. Um, Now, what's interesting about Lamentations 2, and where this should make us feel good about it, is that God's word does not shy away from questions related to justice and himself. Questions like, how can the ultimate extremes of suffering be endured along faith in the living God, who we've learned from scriptures and from our own experiences, that God is good, he's loving and kind. What's weird is that if I were to write the Bible, I would have written it somewhat, I I would have extracted Lamentations 2 from it, right? Because we we want actually God to just seem loving, that's easier But we actually, Lamentations calls us to grapple with this. What does it mean to live in a world of suffering and say that God is good? And these are the questions that Christians must ask, that we have to ask, and that we have to grapple with. The amazing thing is is that this makes the Bible more credible. Calls us to, to believe in the credibility of the Bible because God just doesn't give all the easy stuff. He actually calls us to the hard stuff. The book of Lamentations refuses denial. It practices truth-telling, and it reverses amnesia. What we never hear in chapter 2 
or in any chapter of Lamentations, to be exact, is the voice of God. God remains silent throughout the whole thing. He allows other voices to speak their A to Z, and he never stops to correct them. He never stops to chastise them. He never stops even to comfort them or to explain or to excuse. And it is this show, it is this show's brilliant restraint. Imagine you're God. For some of you, that's easier than others. You are not God, just pretend. And you show that, 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 that's what gives the power, the book of Lamentations, power. God doesn't interrupt. For some of us, we should read the book of Lamentations and think, I, I could take a note from God here. He doesn't interrupt. Some of us are expert interrupters. The minute somebody has a story they're telling, you're interrupting 55 times. It is a spiritual, it is a spiritual uh, strength to be able to ferme le bouche. I tried that twice now. <laughs> so you know I'm not bilingual. <laughs> because God's voice is miss missing, Lamentations honors truth-telling and it denies denial. You know, in a lot of ways, Lamentations is the opposite of name it and claim it. It, it actually practices, it, it, it allow, God allows us to practice what is actually happening in our life. And for some of you, um, this, is gonna, this particular point is going to set you free. You've been living in denial. Everything's fine. It's great. Everything's fine. My marriage is great. All the things are great. Everything I'm floating on, my finances are great. I'm great. Praise God. Because you're actually worried that somehow by stating the truth that you'll give the devil a foothold. And some of us have been taught a theology of that. Lamentations actually doesn't allow us to buy that theology. Not every side of truth, there's two sides of ditch. So we also can get caught in like a, what was me? And the rest of the Bible doesn't let you. But, but one thing is true. Lamentations exists as part of the canon. Part of God's inspired word. Reminding us that human suffering is part of what God hears. And your suffering is not for no reason. I mean, this is why we have trouble, but as, listen to me, as evangelicals, particularly, particularly our stream of the church, we, we venture into triumphalism. So we have a hard time, we have a hard time hearing people's lament. We're in Black History Month this, this month, and I think about like how I've had a hard time hearing people's lament, because I don't want to hear because I didn't do that to you. Lamentations, too, reminds me that I must enter into people's lament. I think about the truth and reconciliation process and how many of us, are, I'm even saying it, and some of you are uncomfortable. Well, this is the same way Lamentations makes us uncomfortable. We must enter into people's lament. We must hear them. God enters into our lament and doesn't say, okay, now, okay, now, okay, now. You do this to yourself, everyone. God enters into our lament. I want to tell you today, if you're lamenting, God is hearing your lament. He's not telling you to suck it up and make it better. And here's you. All 22 verses. From A to Z. Beginning to end. And then we also observe this. That God is long-suffering. This chapter reminds us. One of the things that the book of Lamentations is clear about is that God did not haphazardly bring calamity on Israel. God's actions were a direct response to Jerusalem's persistent rebellion. And the plan... 
had been announced a long time ago. God had no pleasure whatsoever to witness what the agents of the judgments did. The whole picture reflects the covenantal curses of Leviticus 26. You knew I would find a way to bring Leviticus back. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. So some of you have read this. We're going to, we just finished Leviticus this week. If you haven't joined the Bible plan, let me just say it again, because I promised you I would join the Bible plan. Go on our Instagram thing. It's, it's so amazing to be able to read together and see what God is speaking to each other. Um, but in Leviticus 26, we're, we're told the, the covenant plan is laid out. In a couple of weeks, we're going to come to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. Chapter 27 is a fan fave. Lottie, have it written down. All the blessings that the Lord wants to bring to you. Chapter 28, it's a little less, little less of a fan favorite. Uh, let me just read it. However, if you don't follow the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city, cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. See how I'm saying it in a happy voice? It makes it less terrible. And the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, you will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. Okay, this is what, from the beginning of time, when God set out his covenant, this is what he said to his people. Listen, if you follow me, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. And the whole Old Testament can basically be summed up in this way. God is saying to his people, follow me. I love you. Come back to me. I love you. Come back to me. I love you. But if you don't, there's going to have to be consequences. I mean, if you're a parent, you know this is true. You know when you give the old consequence and then you weren't really planning on following through with it because you thought the kid was going to do it. And now you're stuck with like no TV for six years. (laughs) And your child just turned two going to be a long decade. Well, you know that if you have empty promises, what does it become? You become the house of empty promises and your children are wild and you haven't slept since 1999. God is not like us. He is faithful. He is long-suffering, but he is faithful. God did not get up in Lamentations chapter 1 and say, that's it, I've had enough. He has for hundreds of years been calling his people back to himself and yet they would not listen. God is long-suffering. Over and over again, the people of Israel disobeyed God. The phrase that God acted without pity is found three times in this chapter, in verse 2, verse 17, and verse 21. And it's uncomfortable for us a little bit that God acted without pity. If you Listen, by the way, if you've never read this chapter and and, um, felt uncomfortable, I, I, I actually think the point of it is that we would read it and feel uncomfortable. It just means you were probably speed reading. We are to feel uncomfortable. God has no pity. And it kind of reinforces the fact that God, it seems like he's some brutal aggressor. Where is God's mercy? But if you read the whole rest of the Old Testament, you recognize that this is a particular phrase used over and over again. You would read this scripture, but then if you were a Jewish reader, you would read it and understand that the book of Joel, in the book of Joel, um, the prophet said, listen, I will have pity on my people if they turn to me and repent. All throughout the Old Testament, God is calling his people back, reminding them uh, that he loves them. The chronicler in 2 Chronicles interpreted the fact that God had sent many prophets to warn the people 
as being an act of compassion of God himself. Let me just read this from Second Chronicles. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. Because he had pity. You see this line here? This is why the Bible is so cool. All the books. This is where I told you I was going to be a nerd this series. So I am not going to disappoint. There are all of these um, idioms and sayings that tie all the books together. So Second Chronicles says, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets un, uh, until the wrath of God was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up, the, up against them the king of Babylonians who idled their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare the young men or the young women or the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It was not God's will to do this. God is long-suffering, full of mercy. For 40 years, the prophet Jeremiah had painted a very detailed picture of the scenes described in this chapter for the precise purpose of urging Judah to take a different path. So if you read, when you're reading the book of Lamentations, it's good to read the book of Jeremiah in around the same time because you recognize Jeremiah was prophesying, listen, this is what's going to happen. And when you get to Lamentations 2, this is exactly what happens. And this is hard for us in the 21st century. This actually is a really big issue. And, and the reason why a lot of particularly young people are deconstructing, because they ask this exact question. How can evil, how, how can bad things happen to good people if God is good? Have you ever asked that question before? I mean, we just, we just need to be honest here. When, when things have been hard that have happened to me, it's the first question I go to. How can God be, how can we say God is good? Sometimes I've found it hard to come into church on a Sunday morning and everyone's like, God is good. And I'm thinking in my life, not so much, but I'll clap anyways. And this is hard for us to understand. But we don't come to church to like breathe in platitudes. I hope you never feel like you're coming to church and just hearing a bunch of cliches. It's okay that we struggle with this because this is what God's word calls us to. But you know, the truth is I betray myself when I actually, uh, when I don't want the judgment of God at all. Because you know who I don't want the judgment of God for? Me. I don't want it for me at all because like I'm a pretty, yeah, I know myself. I'm a pretty nice person. I mess up quite a bit, but I'm pretty nice. Do you know who you don't want the judgment of God for? You. Do you know, though, if we think about this, if we broaden this a little bit, and we think about somebody, if you're a mom in here, and somebody hurt one of your children, imagine if I just said to you, don't worry about the judgment of God. That person that totally destroyed your child, God just takes it lightly. He doesn't mind. When I said this in the first service, somebody actually did this. <laughs> Their bear claws came up right away, because none of us want the judgment of God for ourselves, but we certainly want it for other people. I don't want my mansion in heaven beside a mass murderer who didn't like repent. I, I, this, and, and the problem is that the philosophy works, but only, only till it doesn't. And if it doesn't work all the time, it doesn't work. You see, what we find is that God is serious about sin. And this means we should be too. We don't want to talk about sin, our own sin particularly. But Lamentations 2 tells us that God cares deeply 
about this. In John, 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. But the book of Deuteronomy and the book of James tell us that God is a consuming fire. So what do we do with that between love and holiness, between mercy and justice? The book of Lamentations forces us to ask deeper and better questions. Let me read what Tim Keller said. He said this, Many people in the modern world, in the modern West, do not accept a God who judges. We're uncomfortable with that. They want a God of love, but a God who does not get angry when evil destroys the creation he, he loves is ultimately not a loving God at all. If you love someone, you must and will get angry if something threatens to destroy him or her. As some have pointed out, you have to have a pretty comfortable life without any experience of oppression and injustice yourself to not want a God who punishes sin. It is little wonder that in North America, people are deconstructing at a rate faster than anywhere else on the earth. It belies our privilege, our ability to be able to live a life that is soft. I'm not saying you have not had pain, but I am saying when I struggle with this, it's because I haven't really, haven't really thought about it all the way through. I've only thought about myself. I want us to be people that actually ask hard questions of the text, grapple with it, talk about it. This is how we're grown. You know, um, Lamentations also teaches us this particular chapter. We always want to skip to the end of the story, but Lamentations does not let us. If I was writing the book of Lamentations, here's how I would have written it. The first half a little bit hard. The middle part, you know, slightly easier. The end part, praise the Lord, it all gets sewn up and everybody goes home happy. Yes? Yes, yes, amen. That's how I would want to write it. But in fact, that's not how it ends. It's its own poem. It is, it is one collective part that starts badly. It's in the middle, it's bad. At the end, it's bad. This is important for us to see because we actually have to learn to sit in people's pain with them and not have it all wrapped up like a nice bow. I'm really aware of that on a Sunday morning like this where I think like last week the staff and um, Dave and I were at a pastor's gathering and uh, I was given the chance to talk to a bunch of my colleagues and peers. And I was telling them the story about how our church has leaned into people who are on the margins, who have had tough lives, and how God was doing some amazing things. This seemed great and cheerful, and then I came to church this morning, and then when we pulled into the parking lot, the EMS is there, the police are there, there's a body bag there. I knew we were singing this song, House of Miracles, like we're going to believe for miracles and we're going to call things dead alive. I thought it's so ironic that when I'm preaching on Lamentations chapter 2 that sometimes things are hard. You know what would not have been right? Brandy went and sat with the young man's girlfriend this morning. Brandy leads our, our warming center. You know what would not have been appropriate? And Brandy didn't do this, but it wouldn't have been appropriate if she had said, you know what? You'll feel better in a week or so. No, she sat with her and wept with her and mourned with her. 
as Christians, Lamentations 2 tells us there are some seasons in our life that we must learn to sit and mourn with people. We must learn to sit with them in the pain, and we must learn to sit with them in their sorrow, and sometimes not say anything. It's hard. Is that like, I don't know if you've been around people that are in hard seasons. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to know what to say. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing, just to be with them, sit with them in sackcloth and ashes. The truth of the matter is, things do get better. But there are seasons that we have to learn to sit with one another, walk with one another. We don't have to fix it all. I am so glad. In some ways, this takes the pressure off us, yes? I'm so glad we don't serve a God that says like, hey, Lamentations chapter 2, figure it all out. You know, there's going to be people with badness, but your job is to be a clown and uh, make everybody feel better. This is not the... And for some, of us, for some of you, this is like very comforting. For others of you who want everything to end happily. When I was a kid, I used to always, in my, we'd be watching, do you remember on Sunday nights, Disney would come on? And if I could convince my parents on Sunday nights to stay home from night church, then we could, this is back in, the, if you don't know about this, don't worry about it. Um, it used to be that you go to church on Sunday morning, also Sunday night, just so you could be really, really, the pastor could be really tired and preach a really long time. So, anyways, it was always during the Walt World Disney. Now, I was very happy to go to church if it was going to be Old Yeller, because that is a terrible movie to show children. It's death, decay, nothing good happens at the end of that movie. But if it was going to be a happy ending, I was so happy to watch it. I was going to stay home, eat popcorn. That's how some of us are. Even the book of Lamentations is difficult, but this is what this teaches us. We want to skip to the end. Lamentations doesn't let us. Finally, Lamentations chapter 2 tells us that we are in need of Jesus. Lamentations is one of the ultimate books that shows us how desperately humanity needed a Savior. The idea that we are really good at making a mess of our lives is on full display in this text. That we could have, and listen, we are no different than the children of Israel, that we could have somebody yelling at us for hundreds of years. <laughs> oh, some of you parents. <laughs> I was reading this this week and laughing at myself because I was feeling quite frustrated by a few things. You know when you stay in a hotel room with your children? No more needs to be said. Um, and I was thinking about how I've been, I've been saying these same things for 20 years. Our daughter turned 20 this week, and I was thinking I've been a parent for 20 years, which I can't even believe. But anyways, and 20, okay, so then I was, I was thinking this, like I've been saying the same things for 20 years. And then I picked up my Bible to read Lamentations 2. And realized that God said the same things for literally thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years. And this is so, I was annoyed for God. I just thought, we are the most annoying creatures ever. He keeps saying the same things to us. We go, yeah, you know, probably not about me, probably somebody else, because we're experts at doing that. And you know, the world has not changed. You are an expert at making a mess of your life. Congratulations, I could give you all, all Starbucks cards. <laughs> we are reminded in Lamentations chapter 2, though, that we are we're in desperate need of a Savior. The reason, I, I have often wondered when I read the Bible, why on earth? 
couldn't we just have gone from Adam and Eve in the garden, they make a mess. And God goes, you know what? We're going to send Jesus now. Have you ever thought about that? Why did, why did all these people have to live through this? Partly, it's for our, for our knowing. Because you know what we would have done if it was Adam and Eve and then Jesus came right after that? Oh, I'm, I'm not like her. I'm not built like her. I'm built different. Some of you would have been the next generation, the alphas. You would have said, well, I'm an alpha, so we're better than Eve. She was a boomer. <laughs> or a Gen Xer. None of you even knew who Gen Xers were. There's only four of us here. We've been overlooked. <laughs> In Christ... God entered the world of our suffering. This is why we needed limitations, so that we could read and understand it was not just Eve, and it was not just Cain, and it was not just David, and it was not just Solomon, and it was not just Jezebel. It was all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. In Christ, God entered the world of our suffering, but not only as an act of empathy or sympathy, but to redemptively take on the whole burden of sin and evil. And at the cross, Jesus took on because he loved us. He took on our mess because he loved you. And we no longer have to live wondering, is God going to shoot me or is God my enemy? Because Jesus doesn't just cover our sins, he takes it away. But Lamentations, we should read Lamentations and have this real, like, this is how it would be if it weren't for Jesus. There should be this, a collective sigh. You see, um, when Paul talks about this in the New Testament, we're going to get into this in chapter 4 and 5. He talks about how the destruction of Jerusalem is kind of like an echo of the destruction of Jesus and how the rebuilding of it is like the resurrection. This is a picture of how we were dead in our transgressions. You read the hopelessness of Lamentations chapter 2 and realize, oh, I am hopeless without Christ. But then Jesus. You know, there's two things that happen to us in pain and suffering. Two things can happen. Two things the enemy tries to use, at least. One of them is the sheer torment of pain. Some of you, when we read this text, you can really, like, you feel it. You, f you feel like you're in that chapter. The pain of it. Sorrow of losing somebody. And maybe it's not even, we talked last week about how sometimes our laments are paper-cut laments. They're painful, but we can't even talk to anybody about them because it feels like we're complaining about a paper cut. But it's pain nonetheless. And the en if we're not careful, the enemy will use that pain to torment us and blind us and kind of, it feels like, if you're in a season of pain like that, it feels like suffocating. This is why some of us have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning because it feels like, Everything just feels, I mean, it's a picture. Lamentations 2, by the way, is a clinical picture of depression. You just feel like everything is pushing in on you. What's hard is that some of us have been going through a Lamentations 2 season, and we haven't been able to tell anybody. What's amazing about Jesus is that in Matthew chapter 11, he comes to us and says this, come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I want you to see that scripture in light of Lamentations 2. Imagine you're sitting in that sieged Jerusalem and you hear the words of your God saying to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is why we must read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. We have to read it, the whole story stitched together. Second thing the enemy often will come to us when we're having a Lamentations 2 season, he's will come to us with the fear of judgment. Some of you right now are in a Lamentations 2 season, but you feel like the pain you're living in right now is like you kind of deserve it because you did it to yourself. You made bad decisions. You said the wrong thing. You blew up. You ran yourself into debt. You didn't take your relationship seriously. When we cast judgment on ourselves, we start to misinterpret everything around us. You ever had that? You're just like in a bad season and like, just then like you feel like, oh, that pothole, God put that pothole there so that my tire would break on the deer foot. Jesus came so that we no longer have to live with the kind of judgment that Lamentations 2 describes. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. It's the most beautiful part of this book, that we don't actually have to live like worried that we have to dodge um, lightning bolts. For 10 years, when Dave and I pastored in the inner city, People would often come to me during the week or after a Sunday service and they'd say things like this to me. Just like, it feels like, I feel like I'm dodging bullets from God. What did I do? What the message of the scripture is not is that God is trying to judge you or he is trying to get you for the things you did wrong. God is holy, yes. But because he is holy and because he is loving, he sent Jesus so you no longer live under the weight of his judgment. We can live under his grace and his mercy. So today as we close, I want to close reading John chapter 8. I think this is an important scripture to read in light of Lamentations 2. Jesus is talking to a woman who is caught in the sin of adultery. John 8 verse 8 through 12 it says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. I find it funny that it's the older ones first. Do you know, because when you're old, you've lived a lot of life, you've messed up more than young people until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord to us today, that we would no longer live with condemnation or discouragement. But I I want you to see it in light of Lamentations 2. Okay, we don't divorce ourselves from the Old Testament. Feel the pain 
of living in Lamentations 2. You're living in a sieged city. And it is because you didn't listen to God. But in your lifetime, God brought Jesus. What a great relief that is. What a wonderful gift that is. That is why on a Sunday morning like this, we can, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter if we've had a really hard morning, we can get up and say, I thank God. I am so thankful for the grace of God, yes? Maybe you're here and you've never accepted the grace of Jesus before. Today, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his, uh, his taking your sin and your stuff, removing it as far as the east is from the west. I want to invite you just to put your hand in his. And you know, when we start to walk with him, it's just the beginning. We say yes to him. He takes us. But then we walk with him every day. And everything changes about our life. It's the greatest decision you can ever make. Others of us are here and we are in a season of lament. I want you to remember the words of lamentations. It reminds us God is neither put off nor offended by your lament. He sits with you in it. And maybe in this moment, some of you will have called to mind somebody that you need to sit with in their lament. God is going to cause us to become a community that knows how to walk with people in pain. This is how God will trust us with people with pain, yes? And, and, my, and my heart's cry is that we would become a church that knows how to sit with people in their problems and their dust and their ashes. Can I just pray for you this morning? God, I just thank you for these people, every person that's here today. I thank you for the ways that you have called them out of darkness. God, thanks for your word that is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Thank you, God, that you are both holy and you are both loving. You are both things. Thank you that Jesus helps us. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, that you made that sacrifice for us so that your holiness, God, could be shown in us so that we could walk in your love. God, I pray for the person that's struggling with sin today. May we remember the words of Paul that says, because grace abounds, should I go on sinning? No. God, help us to just call that to you, give that to you. I pray for the person that's far away from you, that's never said yes to you. Jesus, I pray that we would be able to admit we need you, we're in need of you. God, for those of us that are lamenting, may we remember the words from Matthew 11 that says, come to me, all you who are weary heavy burdened and I will give you rest. May the rest of God rest on us. In Jesus name. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come. A couple things that I want to invite you to come. If you, if you need prayer, prayer team, will you just come? Just spread it along the front. If you're here and you are in need of someone to pray for you, maybe you've been in a season of lament, I want to invite you to come. Do not wait. Don't wait till you, I don't know, till it gets really bad. Have somebody carry those burdens with you. We cannot do it on our own. Others of you are here and you have sin that just keeps it the same old, same old. You feel like you're on like some weird roller coaster. I, I just know that there's power when we pray for each other. God helps us. We don't have to walk in condemnation. We don't have to walk in discouragement, but God is going to come and lift that. Some of you are trapped in a shame cycle. Now, I, I want to encourage you to have somebody come and pray with you you're here and you've said yes to Jesus for the first time. Hey, uh, when we do that, Jesus comes in. He never leaves us or forsakes us, but it's really awesome to have somebody to walk with. So I just invite you to 
of somebody to walk with you. Can we just stand all across this place? We're going to close with a song. I believe that God's going to speak to us, continue to speak to us. Come for prayer. If you're here, don't wait. Come for prayer. There's no shame in needing help, right? That's why we're together. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.